Good morning. Easy to say that on a beautiful morning like this, isn't it? (laughs) We're going to ask the kids to make their way to junior church. And we're going to turn to Romans chapter 10 as we continue looking at our choice, the gospel. Romans chapter 10, beginning with verse 11 there. Well, you're turning. You know what the good thing about today is? There's more coming. (laughs) I like to rub it in. (laughs) Okay. Verse 11. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But how shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things. However, they did not all heed the glad tidings. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But I say, surely they have never heard, have they? Indeed, they have. Their voice has gone out into all the earth and their words to the end of the world. But I say, surely Israel did not know, did they? At the first, Moses says, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation. By a nation without understanding will I anger you. And Isaiah is very bold and says, I, have found, I was found by those who sought me not. I became manifest to those who do not ask for me. But as for Israel, he says, all day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. When we were pastoring in Murdo, South Dakota, well, had still had two kids at home, and so as happened so often, we were living just below the poverty line. And so Ginger took a, a job working at the Pioneer Auto Museum. And I still remember a day when, when she works somewhere, I get involved in it too. <laughs> I don't know how that works, but, but, but it does. But uh, one day a couple came through, and you could tell that they were just a little bit shaken. They had spent the night before in a campground. They, they had a motor home. They, they had camped on the border of Wisconsin and, and South Dakota. And after they got settled, a park ranger came around knocking on all of the doors of the campers, and he said, we have reports that a tornado is supposed to come hit in the area. We would like everybody to move to the central building. Uh, it was a cement brick building. We, we feel you'll, you'll be safer there. They looked at one another, and they decided it's much more comfortable in our trailer. than in a, And how bad can a tornado be, after all? They, they were from the East Coast. They, they had no idea what a tornado was like. And so they stayed in their camper. Now, the tornado did not actually touch down, but the winds hit, and the branches were crashing down, trees were coming down, and by that time, it was too late to move from there to the safety of the building. They made a choice, probably not the wisest choice, but they made a choice to to stay there. And, And in a sense, and by their own testimony, they said, if we ever have that choice again, it's going to be a different choice. <laughs> they, they, were, they weren't going to chance another, another tornado. 
But uh, in a sense, God in his sovereignty has given us a choice. We can accept the gospel message. We can reject it. it he doesn't force us one way or another. He, he makes it possible for us, though, for us to have salvation. He has done everything necessary. He planned it. He carried it out. Christ went to the cross for us. All he asked of us is that we come by faith. In verse 10, he says, oh, I was supposed to ask you. How many of you memorized it? Nine and ten. <laughs> uh, I should have you say it, but I, I won't go quite that far. But notice verse 10, he says, With the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness. With his mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. He asked of us that we believe in our heart in Jesus Christ. And then that we make that public confession that Jesus Christ is, is Lord in, in our lives there. So he, last week we looked at the accessibility of the gospel and at the two essentials of the gospel here. Three more areas come out of this chapter. So that's why in, in our outline you're going to see number three there. We, we looked at the first two last week. Number three this week is the rewards of the gospel. What can we expect if we choose to accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior? What does he do in our life? What, what are the benefits of that? And I think it's important for us to recognize here that God gives us the freedom of choice. He does not force his salvation upon us. We can choose to believe, we can choose to accept, or we can choose, choose to reject it. While he gives us the freedom of choice, and we can choose the path that we want to follow, he does not give us the freedom to set the consequences. God sets those. And so if, if we choose to believe, these are the consequences. This is what we receive here. He starts out in verse 11 by saying, if we accept Christ, if we call upon him, we believe in him, there is no disappointment. Many products are advertised, satisfaction guaranteed, or your money back. In a sense, that's what he's saying here. If you come to Christ, there will be no disappointment. He's taking that from Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16 there. It was a promise that he made to the nation of Israel. If you follow me, if you come to me, you will not be disappointed. And now he applies that same promise to you and I. If we choose to accept him, we will not be disappointed. Come to the rock is what he was saying back in Isaiah. And you will literally not be disappointed. And the word that he uses literally means you will have no reason to be ashamed. There will be no shame in, in the gospel. Romans chapter 1, Paul cried out in verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation. There was no shame in Christ. And Paul was, was convinced that there, there is no disappointment in Jesus Christ. Many today are ashamed of their past. How many of you, now don't raise your hands on this, but, but how many of you have something in your past that you wish you hadn't done. Yeah, we all, we all do, don't we? Uh, and, and if we're not careful, we live under the shadow of that event in the past. Praise the Lord, the gospel has dealt with the past. If we come to Jesus Christ, he says, we are new creatures in Christ. The old things have passed away, new things have come. And not only that, he says, not only has he removed the shame of the past from us, he's promised us a glorious future as well. We have the hope of eternity. The Apostle Paul in Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 says, I suffer these things. What things? The trials, the tests, the, 
difficulties that he was going through. He said, but I am not ashamed. Why? Because he said, I know whom I have believed. And I know he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. What had he committed to Jesus Christ? He had committed his very soul, his very life. And he said, if he's keeping it, then I have the hope of a glorious tomorrow. No disappointment in Christ today or tomorrow as well. There is also here in verse 12, no distinction there. He said, no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. They all come the same way. Galatians chapter uh, 3, he says in verse uh, 28, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you did in the past. We all come to Christ the same way. Our sins are forgiven because of the work of Jesus Christ on on the cross. Uh, This was taught in the Old Testament. Uh, We we think of the Old Testament as the history of Israel, and, and it is in a sense. But you know, you go clear back to the book of Genesis, and when God called Abraham to come out of the land of Ur and so forth, do you remember the promise that he made to Abraham? He said, in you or through you, all families of the earth will be blessed. doesn't matter whether they were Jew or Gentile. They were going to be blessed because of the work of Jesus Christ. Now, the Old Testament records the history of Israel for us. But have you ever pondered and wondered about the many stories that just aren't complete in Scripture? How did he work in the lives of the Gentiles? You, you have clear back in Abraham's day somebody like Job. Job wasn't a Hebrew. He, he wasn't a descendant of Abraham. How did he know the true God? How did he worship him? What, what, what all was God doing in his life and, and in his family? Then there was Melchizedek, king of Salem. Salem was a Canaanite city at that time. He was, yet he was priest of the Most High God. What did he know about God? How, how did he come to that sense of worship of the true God? You come down to the book of Joshua. You ever marvel at the story of Rahab when the nation of Israel came against Jericho? Here was a woman locked up in the city, the city that they they knew about God. They knew what God had done 40 years before this to the Egyptians. They were scared to death. And, uh, And yet she knew enough about God to say, I want to be part of God's family. I I, I want to worship this, this God. What transpired from that point on in her life Uh, you kind of wish you knew some of these things but scripture doesn't reveal them he's recording the history up to the birth of christ in the old testament not all of these other areas i think a name in the leper what what went on in his life nebuchadnezzar came to to recognize the sovereignty of god and so forth and uh, i i think there's a lot of stories that we're going to just have to wait to heaven to find the end of was God at work in the world beyond the Jewish nation? I think he was. Far greater ways than, than we have any concept of today. There's no distinction there. doesn't matter whether you're Jew or a Gentile, man or woman. You, we all come to Christ the same way, by faith, by believing in Jesus Christ. Now, as I say that, I realize from an earthly standpoint, there are distinctions. Men and women have different roles and so forth. But when it comes to the... Salvation, someone has wisely said, the foot of the cross is level. We all come the, the same way there. And uh, 
there's no such thing in God's family as a second-class citizen. The past is forgiven. It's dealt with. We come. We're new creatures in Christ. And it doesn't matter who we are or where we're coming from. Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul said in 1 Timothy 1.15, he said, Christ came to save sinners. He said, of whom I am the chief. I am the foremost. If God could get a hold of and change the life of somebody like Saul, who later became Paul, then he can do the same thing for us. Saul was one who persecuted the, the church of Jesus Christ, put to death those that were following Christ, probably was there in the Sanhedrin at the time Jesus was crucified. And yet somehow God got a hold of his heart and he recognized Jesus Christ as Lord and he accepted him as a Savior. What Paul is saying in that First Timothy there, he said, you know, if God can do that in me, God can do that in you. And we, we need to rejoice in, in what he has done for us. There's no distinction as we come to Christ. The next blessing that comes when we choose to accept Christ is uh, found in verse 12 here, abundant riches. We saw a glimpse of that when we looked at chapter 5. Remember how chapter 5 started out? Therefore, being justified by faith, we have what? Somebody said it. Peace. There we go. We have peace with God. What price would you pay for peace today? We have peace with God. Why? Because we've come by faith to, to Jesus Christ as our Savior there. But it didn't stop there in chapter 5. He said, because of that, we have access into his grace. How many of you appreciate the grace of God? Yeah, it's, it's ours abundantly. Paul later said, by the grace of God, I am what I am today. And he goes on to say his grace is sufficient for us in our need and our trials there. He goes on to say, because we're, we have access to grace, we have hope. We have hope of a glorious tomorrow. So much of the world is living without hope. Uh, Billy Graham back in the 90s was asked, what was the major problem in society today? And he said the major problem amongst young people is the lack of hope. That's a tough place to be. No no hope for tomorrow. Uh, And yet, of all people, we have hope today. He goes on in there to say we have joy. We have love. And on and on goes the blessings we have because we are in Christ Jesus. Abundant riches. Riches that the world cannot take away from us. We have been blessed of God. In 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you through his poverty might be made rich. And then in Ephesians or chapter 9, verse 11, I believe that's 1 Corinthians. No, it isn't either. Okay. Chapter 9, verse 11, 2 Corinthians 9, 11. He says, you will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is proclaiming thanksgiving to God. Do you recognize today that you're rich in Jesus Christ? You have been blessed, Ephesians says, with all spiritual blessings. Now, we look out there and we complain about a few snowflakes. (laughs) Been blessed, and yet we complain about it, don't we? Uh, you, You can look at your life and you can look at this trial or that trial, and we can get frustrated and upset with the Lord, or we can recognize We have been abundantly 
blessed. We have been given riches that can never be taken away from us. We are a blessed people today. And then he sums it up in verse 13 by saying, we have also received salvation. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved there. That sums it up. Perhaps the greatest blessing that we have today is the fact that we have been saved. We have been made part of the family of God. We we have been brought into a right relationship with him. And because of that, we have a, a home in heaven, a glorious future to look forward to. It's all ours if we choose to accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. There's no qualifications there. These are blessings that we can all enjoy because we belong to Jesus Christ. Well, that leads us to the fourth area here, the spread of the gospel. This is the greatest news that the world could ever receive. Just think for a moment if you came up with a vaccine that would cure cancer. You'd be hailed as a hero if you made it known. You, you would have a choice in that moment, either keep it to yourself or let everybody know. If, if uh, you didn't reveal that to the world, that would be criminal. And yet we have the greatest message. We have the hope of eternal life. What are we doing with it? Are we seeking to communicate that message to those that, that need to hear it? In, uh, he goes through a series of questions here, beginning in verse 14. How shall they call upon him? in whom they have not believed. How shall they believe if they haven't heard? That's our responsibility, isn't it? If they're going to hear, we have to tell them. Somebody has to go to them with with the gospel message. How shall they preach, he said? How shall they hear without a preacher? So that puts the responsibility on the preacher's shoulders, or does it? I think we're all called to preach the gospel. We're all called to communicate it. Jesus didn't make any distinction in Matthew chapter 28. When he met with his disciples, he didn't say, Peter, this is going to be your responsibility or John. No, he said, you, uh, he, he said, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. And he said to all of them, go you into all the world and preach or present the gospel there. Acts chapter one, he speaks of the fact that um, you shall be what? My witnesses. You're to carry the news. You're the, the means by which the world is going to hear the, the, the gospel message. In 2 Corinthians 5, he says, God has committed to us the work of reconciliation there. We are to stand in God's place. Now, that's amazing when you think about that. Uh, it's an amazing privilege that we have to communicate the gospel message. Just think of how God could have done it. He could have had angels proclaim it from heaven. He, he could have written it in the sky. And yet he chose to use you and he chose to use me to be the instrument by which he communicated the gospel message to the world. And so the obvious question when you come down to verse 15 is, do you have beautiful feet today? He said, if you're carrying the gospel, your feet are beautiful. If you're hiding the gospel, then something's wrong there. You don't have those beautiful feet. We don't usually think of feet as an object of beauty, but... God says if, if they're used to carry the gospel, they're beautiful. And, and uh, you know, when we, we read these verses, we think, well, you know what? I can't have a part in this because I can't preach. I, I like the story that came out of Leadership Magazine several years ago. It was the story, the testimony of a man by the name of Doug Nichols. He was from the state of Washington, incidentally, uh, from Bothell, Washington. 
1967, he went with Operation Mobilization to India to carry the gospel message there. Shortly after he arrived there, he came down with tuberculosis. And he was forced back in those days into a sanitarium where he spent several months. He said, I did not yet speak the language. I tried to give Christian literature written in their language to the patients, the doctors, and the nurses. But everyone politely refused to to take the, the literature that he had. He said, I sensed that they weren't happy about a rich American being in a free government-run sanitarium. He said, what they didn't know was I was just as broke as they were. He didn't have health insurance. He didn't have the resources. Uh, He was destitute. He said, the first few nights I woke around 2 o'clock in the morning coughing. One morning during my coughing spell, he said, I noticed one of the older, sicker patients across the aisle trying to get out of bed. He would sit up on the edge of his bed, try to stand, but in weakness would fall back into his bed. I didn't understand what he was trying to do. He finally fell back into bed exhausted, and I heard him crying softly. The next morning, I realized what this man was trying to do. He was trying to get up and walk to the bathroom. He said the stench in the room was terrible. Other patients yelled insults at him. Angry nurses moved him roughly from side to side as they attempted to clean up the mess. One nurse even slapped him. The old man curled up in a ball and wept. He said, the next night I awoke coughing, and I noticed the man across the aisle trying to sit up and stand. Like the night before, he fell back whimpering. He said, I don't like bad smells, and I didn't want to become involved, but I got out of bed, went over to him. When I touched him, his eyes opened wide with fear. I smiled, put my arms under him, picked him up, and carried him to the bathroom. He was very light due to his old age, advanced TB. I carried him to the washroom, which was just a filthy small room with a hole in the floor. Stood behind him with my arms under his armpits as he took care of himself. After he finished, I picked him up, carried him back to his bed, and I laid him down. He kissed me on the cheek, smiled, and said something I couldn't understand. The next morning, another patient woke me up with a cup of tea and indicated by sign language that he would like one of the booklets that I had. Throughout the day, different ones came asking for literature, the doctors, the nurses, the patients. Weeks later, an evangelist who spoke the language came and visited Doug there in the sanitarium. And at the same time, he talked to several of the other patients, and he discovered that several of them had accepted Jesus Christ through the literature that he had given to them. And uh, what, what a, a joy it was to Doug to realize that somehow, through a simple act of kindness, God had communicated the gospel through him. Do we always need to preach a message? Sometimes we do. Sometimes we don't. It may simply be that God is asking of us today to give somebody a track. There's some in the back there. You know, they don't do a whole lot of good sitting on the counter in the back. We need to get them out to people that are out there that need to hear about Jesus Christ. It may be something simple like inviting someone to our house for a cup of coffee or or just listening to them as they share what's going on in their hearts. It may, I think years ago of a time in our life when in our first church back in Little Wet, British Columbia, one day we had a neighbor lived right around the corner from us. His wife came to, she had, I think at the time, three kids, and I think the fourth was on the way. But 
Wade had nothing to do with church. He didn't have time for church. He was a, a railroad, worked on the railroad and often gone on the weekends. A nice guy, but not interested in the gospel message. Uh, his wife was praying faithfully that, that he would come to know the Lord. And one day, as I was walking from my house down to the church, or, or actually I was coming home for lunch, it was one of those windy days, and we got a, our share of wind there that came across the, the lake and swept up the valley there. I noticed Wade was up on his roof. He was putting an addition on his house because with the fourth child on the way, they they were running out of room. And uh, I noticed he was trying to get sheets of plywood up there by himself in the wind and get them nailed down. And I went home and I grabbed a bite to eat. And I said, if we're ever going to reach Wade with a gospel message, I'm not going back to work. I'm going to pick up my hammer. And I went over and together we worked on the roof and got it nailed down and so forth. His wife asked me, how can I lead him to Christ? And I said, does he like to read? And she said, well, yes, he reads everything he can get his hands on. I said, well, here's a four spiritual laws booklet. Put that on the table beside where he sits and reads. And several weeks later, he looked at his wife one day and he said, you know, I read that little booklet and I prayed that prayer. Uh, God took a a hammer and uh, afternoon of work. He, he took a, a wife that had been praying. He took a, a a little track and brought somebody to Christ. It isn't always a message. Are we willing to get involved in people's lives so that we can share that message with others? Now, as I say that, the f- fifth thing here is the rejection of the gospel. We are the messengers. We are commissioned by God to carry that message to a world that desperately needs that message. Will everyone believe? No. It's God that gives the increase. First uh, Corinthians chapter 3, it speaks one sows and other waters, but it's God that gives the harvest. Many will hear, many will reject that message. Ezekiel chapter 33, he speaks, uh, the Lord comes to Ezekiel and said, Ezekiel, you're the watchman on the wall. The responsibility of the watchman was to look for trouble, either in the city or outside of the city. And if they saw something developing, he was to sound the alarm. That, that was his responsibility. He said, if, if you sound the alarm and the people do nothing about it, the blood is on their hands. That, that's, that's their problem. But he, he said, if, if you see the danger and you do nothing, then their blood will be required of you. It, it's on, on your hands then. Many will reject but that doesn't minimize our responsibility to communicate the gospel, even if they do reject it. Uh, it's a tremendous blessing today to have his word available to us. We're called to faithfully use that to the glory of Jesus Christ and recognize that we have to leave the results in God's hands. It would be great if everybody we shared the gospel with would say, hey, I want to accept Christ as my Savior. That would be tremendous, but it doesn't happen that way because it's their choice. And yet, as we do that, and sometimes you get discouraged in the process, don't you? And yet, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10 says, God's not unkind or unjust to forget our work and labor of love. He knows what we share and what he is doing through it. So he simply calls us in verse 17 to plant the seed. He said, faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. If we can get the word of God into their hearts and lives, it's amazing what God can do. I think of that with our Awana program. I'm sure that 
some of those kids are going to come through that system. And they're not going to accept Christ as Savior. We're going to wonder, well, why? We, we did everything possible. And yet we've planted a seed that somewhere down the road may bring forth fruit in their heart and life. And that's what God asks of us, to give forth that word today. I, I think of my own life. When that word was first given, I, I don't know how many verses I learned because uh, you, you got to keep the teacher happy. But uh, for four years, I didn't believe a bit of it. You weren't going to fool me with the gospel message. I I knew about Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny. I knew it wasn't true. So you come with all of these miraculous stories, and hey, guess what? It's not real. It took four years for me to come to a place where I believed in Jesus Christ. Give others time as well. Plant a seed. Let God do the work that he wants to do. You may plant it. You may water it. It doesn't matter who reaps the harvest. It's God that gives the increase and leave it in his hands. Isaiah 55, 11 says, so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void. It will accomplish what I have purposed for it there. While we wait, praise the Lord, we're privileged to be part of the process. It doesn't even matter who gets the credit for it. I, I think of... I'm going to pick on Iwana again. Uh, both Iwana and, and VBS, I've, I've learned over the years that if, if I walk around looking busy, Diana won't give me a job. <laughs> uh, 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 working with kids is not the, the, my best area, although I enjoy kids. But uh, I, I communicate with adults better than I do with kids. You know what? When I'm walking around and looking busy. <laughs> Diana's not listening to this. You know what? It's a good opportunity for me to pray. When I look into the back classroom or the classroom out here, the teachers are teaching, I can hold those kids up in prayer. You know what? I haven't had the opportunity of leading a single one of the kids in Awana or VBS to the Lord. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who gets the credit. The important thing is kids have come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And that's all that God asks of us is to do the part that he has given to us. We are laborers together with God. God's the one that's going to bring them to himself. We're, we're just the instrument that he chooses to use. And so as you think about that this week, what is God asking you to do? Not what is he asking me to do or what is he asking your partner to do or or someone sitting in the aisle with you. What is God asking of you this week? How can you be an instrument through which God communicates the gospel to somebody else? It may be, as I said, something simple by just offering them a cup of coffee, bringing them into your home, listening to them, and sharing maybe just a few words. It may be giving them a, a, a track. It may be giving them the the gospel message, you may be the one that has the privilege of re reaping the harvest, and what a blessing that is. But what is he asking of you this week? How can you be an instrument to carry the gospel message to somebody else today? And it doesn't matter whether they accept it today or somewhere down the road. I think of a, a dear friend of ours back in South Dakota that for 50 years prayed for her husband to come to know Jesus Christ as personal Savior. Many people attempted to reach him, uh, share with him. He, he totally rejected it until one day they're driving down the highway from Ekalaka to Billings, about 260 miles. She's driving because he's going to the hospital 
doesn't know whether he's going to come back alive or not. As they're driving down the road, he looks over at her. I don't know how she's kept from having an accident. I really don't. <laughs> she look, he looks over at it and he says, Isla, tell me again how a person can become a Christian. She shares the gospel with him. He prays to accept the Lord. He became a child of God. And now God graciously gave him about another 10 years and, and his life was changed and transformed. What, what, what a blessing that was. But you know what? It was a blessing during the 50 years as well, just to pray, just to be the witness, just to do what, what God wanted her to do. Uh, and God in his time brought the fruit. So what is he asking of you? Don't get frustrated in the process. You may share. They may say, no. Turn it over to God. Let God work in their hearts and lives. He's the one that's going to, to, to bring the harvest there. But what part can you play in bringing them to Jesus Christ. Uh, are you willing to be like Isaiah? And, and he quotes extensively here from Isaiah. I didn't go into all of the passages here. But uh, if you remember in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah is in the temple praying, wondering what's going to happen to his nation. There's a change in administration. Uh, and what, what direction is the nation going to go with a new king and so forth? Uh, and he sees the Lord high and lifted up. And what does he do? Falls flat on his face before the Lord. And he recognized, hey, I'm a sinful man. I, I, need, I need God to change my life. And the angel takes that coal from the fire, touches his lips because he said, I'm an unclean man. I dwell amongst people of unclean lips and so forth. God changes his life. And then he hears God saying, who shall we send and who will go for us? Now, there, there's a whole message in that. I, the, the, the Trinity is involved there. Who, who will we send? You remember what he said? Here am I, send me. Are we willing to pray that today? The world is lost. There's a, a host of people in Chihuahua that need the gospel message. And God is looking down and saying, who can I send? Who will go? Are we willing to say, Lord, I'm available. Uh, he, he may use you in a different way that he uses me, but but. Use us, he will, if we are willing to say, Lord, I'm available. I'm available. I'll do what you ask me to do. As we approach this morning the, the Lord's table, I wonder, he calls us to examine ourselves. And I think this is one area that we need to examine ourselves and our hearts. Because over and over again, God has spoken to us over and over again. He's put opportunities in our way. Have we seized him? Have we said, Lord, use me. I'm available. I'll get that cup of coffee. I'll, I'll serve. I'll, I'll help this individual like Doug Nichols did to the bathroom or whatever it may be. Have we been willing to say, Lord, here am I. Use me. Or if we sat back and done nothing. If we have, then I think as we approach the Lord's table, we need to say, Lord, forgive me. Because it says, how are they going to call on him if they don't hear? How are they going to believe if, if somebody doesn't go and somebody doesn't share the gospel message with them? We've been given the greatest message the world has. What are we doing with it today? And so as we think about that, I'm going to ask you to take just a moment of reflection, of silent prayer as you wrestle with some of these issues before the Lord today? Have you been, like Isaiah, saying, Lord, I'm available, use me? Or have you been sitting back saying, 
here in my Lord, use my brother. Let somebody else do it. Let, let's search our hearts before the Lord on those issues.